from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty alongside my co-host and dear friend Corbin Ford. I am Garrett Bouguet and uh, we are going to be discussing the very busy week we've had in the NBA with the NBA draft and then also with the first, I don't know, day and a half of, uh, of free agency. We're recording this on a Tuesday evening. Corbin, how you doing? Bro, I am doing so good. I mean, for one, gonna hang out with you and so many others that sport you know summer league sportsman's classroom next week i am pumped for that um on the other hand you know my lakers made some moves it's just a fun time and it's a whole lot going on uh i'm just i'm pumped you can i'm almost speechless which is a bad sign for a podcast we're just starting yeah it might be a shock to people listening to this uh given that i was looking this up corbin that you made your first appearance on this pod in january of 2020 are you serious? Yep. So it's uh, it's been basically wow. you know over a year and a half since you've been on been on the pod and have been a co-host for probably over a year. And uh, wow. but it's a surprise to everyone that you know we have not ever met in person, and that's going to change next week when we meet up in Las Vegas. Uh, I am over the moon excited to uh, to to get to see you and and a bunch of people there in in Vegas for uh, what should be a, a fantastic week. Oh, yes. I literally cannot wait. Michael Beasley's going to be out there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, the sum was already made when I heard that. You know, and it's going to be so many people. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Let's, yeah, man. Woo, literally just less than a couple of days away from when we're recording this. Yeah. So let's let's get into the uh, the draft first, and then we'll, we'll talk about free agency here in a bit. But, uh, you know, we, of course, had the, the top three guys kind of went as expected with Cade Cunningham going to Detroit, Jalen Green going to the Rockets, and Evan Mobley going to the Cavs. But uh, all in all, Corbin, I guess, what were, uh, what were some standout moments to you, you know, aside from Kendrick Perkins failing to be able to pronounce the name of Moses Moody? Moody. No, just kidding. No, anyway, that was a moment, man. No, anyway. Um, aside from that, I gotta say it was it was. I thought the shock was really with the Raptors going with Scotty Barnes at four. I mean, it almost looked for the first couple of picks just like they had been drawn up. You know, the last couple of weeks, that's all we've been talking about. You know, in order. Um. Of course, number one being Cade, Jalen Green really caught steam toward the last couple of weeks, Evan Mobley, and then it was going to be Jalen Suggs. And then we'd have the discussion of whether it was Scotty Barnes or Jonathan Kaminga. And the Raptor said, you know, forget what you thought. Like, we're just going to take Scotty Barnes. And that was the first, like, hmm, raise your eyebrow type look because it, it definitely 
leads to more questions concerning the future of the Raptors. What are they going to do? Um, are they trying to obviously just keep going with the guards they have, you know, and just switch over to um, Fred Van Vliet and, and, and Malachi Flynn and others because Kyle Lyle, we kind of knew was already gone. It, it just was an interesting twist, especially with how he fits with OG Anobi and Pascal Siakam. And will Pascal Siakam be there long term? That was weird in terms of the long term future of the Raptors. It all kind of came down with that one pick. But on the plus side, it allowed Jalen Suggs to follow the magic, which I enjoyed because I was looking for the magic to get that one guy that I thought would be a clear, like, potentially best player on their team in a couple of seasons. I didn't see that at five or six with where they were slated, who they were going to grab with that one switched in the game. I did enjoy who fell to them. Yeah. The, uh, the Scotty Barnes to Toronto is fascinating. Uh, It seems like they, they viewed him as the best player available on the board. And, and, and I certainly really like him. And, and from, from every podcast I've listened to every article I've read, the Scotty Barnes seems to be just like the, 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 just a fantastic person and a really hard worker, great communicator has all of these sort of intangibles and the, you know, the Raptors are betting on him as, as a guy that's going to, it's going to get better. He, he definitely has to improve, especially the jump shot. Uh, but, but also I think the fascinating element of Scotty Barnes is that you, you look at him and you say, Oh, he's six, eight. He, he handles the ball a lot. He's a good passer. And he's only, you know, 225 pounds right now, but I could see him being the, the, the center of the future for the Raptors as well. And yeah, a lot of people were worried about the fit um, with, mm-hmm. you know, with, with Siakam and Anobi, but if Barnes is eventually the five, I think that fit makes a lot more sense uh, where you can put shooters at the other four positions. And he's the guy that's setting screens, rolling, playing the you know, sort of the Draymond green role on, on both ends of the floor. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I uh, the, the fact that Jalen Suggs slipped to Orlando was a great get for them. And, you know, even though I'm not as high on a Franz Wagner as most people, I still think that he's a very safe bet to be a solid player in the NBA. I just, mm-hmm. I, I think he just has a limited upside. Um, so uh, I think Orlando got a guy in Suggs that, you know, maybe has that ceiling where he could be your go-to guy offensively and Wagner, another guy that, uh, you know, can, can be a solid starting role player. And all of a sudden the magic have like a, a young core to be somewhat excited about. I'm not going to lie. I like what the magic did with the exception of the pick of Wagner. Okay. I think that he is, like you said, a safe bet, but, I think you could have went with a safer, better player as a bet in Moses. Okay, I'm just kidding. Moses Moody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I tried it again. But I feel like Wagner is someone that kind of like a jack of all trades, kind of master of none, which is okay, except like that already constitutes the majority of your roster if the Orlando Magic. I'm not saying jack of all trades, master of one, but I'm saying kind of like master of done. Like they already have a lot of those players on that roster already bringing another guy. Yes. Positionally, it makes a fit playing small forward. I get that. Moses Moody would have brought that and has a lot more upside as an offensive creator from what I've seen than Wagner provides. And so when I looked at that, I went, wow, you know, if you get Suggs and Moody, you are the winners of this draft hands down. And then when they went with Wagner, I went, ah, because you know, I, I, Wagner's solid. He would have went in that range. It's definitely a okay pick. I just feel like there was so much left in, in Moody. And I think that 
at least I, I know I'm giving my hot take early, but I think that the uh, results will kind of bear that out in a couple of years, you, despite Moody having even less of a potential defined role than Wagner does right off the gate. Yeah, a lot of it just comes down to, you know, when you're picking at, at eight, are you still, you know, trying to go for the uh, the all-star upside or are you trying to just just get a player there? Um, you know, I, I, I do agree that uh, I, I, I really like Moody as well. And, and I, I think Moody has a, a higher ceiling than Wagner, but I actually think Moody might have a lower floor. Um, just because I think Wagner has a little bit more feel for the game uh, at, at this stage. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see. And, and, you know, when you have two picks like that, it's also an interesting sort of dilemma where, yeah, do you, if you take a guy initially that you think, okay, this is our upside pick, you know, kind of what, uh, you know, the, the Warriors, I feel like a lot of people are suggesting that's kind of what they did, where they went with the upside pick in Kaminga at seven. And, you know, they, they went with more of the safe bet with Moody at 14. Uh, when you have two picks like that, it is interesting, like the, how teams sort of manage that. And and that to me is kind of what Orlando thought is, OK, we're going with the more of the high upside in Suggs. Let's get the safe bet in Wagner with the other selection. I see what you mean. And you're right. It is interesting how teams make that play. I still hold fast to at least my belief that you could have had both in a way of like some guy who is already going to be solid at the gate and can grow to be even more than that. But I see what you're saying. And it's perfectly valid in, in the sense of, you know, when you're building with that roster construction, you know, it's almost like if you play 2K or I'm on basketball GM, you have two picks. They're kind of the same area. One flashes more potential. One is the better player. Maybe you decide, hey, you know, I have the bird in the hand and the one in the bush, the two. As the saying goes, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the team, Corbin, I'm curious to get your take on this, but the team that I I thought was just the runaway winners of the draft was the uh, the Houston Rockets. And uh, I totally agree. Sorry, go on. I'm sorry, man. I was so excited there. You know, getting Jalen Suggs, you know, I, I had Evan Mobley oh, slightly yeah, right. ahead of Suggs on my big board, but I had them in the same tier. Uh, oh, you mean a Jalen Green? Or sorry, did it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all good. It's Jalen's. It's it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> oh yeah, I, was, I said Jalen Suggs. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no. I had I had uh, Jalen Green and Mobley in the same tier, and uh, you know, so you know, I, I didn't mind that that selection. I think Green is going to be an excellent player. And then you know what they got at sixteen and twenty three, getting what I thought was arguably the 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 big man with the highest offensive ceiling in the draft in Alperin Sengun, and then getting one of the best defensive bigs in the draft in Usman Garuba at 23. I mean, uh, not only do I think it's, it's great because those guys can play together. You know, the, the, the worry with Sengun was that he's, you know, six, nine, maybe not uh, a, a good enough, defensive anchor for you but he's got a ton of offensive skill mm-hmm. uh, and, and Garuba is kind of the opposite he's this really uh, versatile defensive guy that maybe is a limited offensive player but I think those guys could could play together and and uh, you know sort of cover each other's weaknesses to a certain extent no I agree I think that they have a really solid uh, 
group of folks. Uh, Alperin Sengun, um, just from what I've seen, you know, looking at him, like he's gonna he dominated the Turkish League, you know, someone with a lot of untapped potential, a post monster. You know, Jalen Green is my type of guy. Um, he's gonna join the ranks of the Cherry Rogiers, of the Montellises, you know, the great ones before him. Um, in that scoring combo guard, the number two pick, Corbin. I hate to, I hate to tell you this, but uh, hopefully he's better than those guys. <laughs> Selection. okay you know what? that's fine that's fine reassessing on the fly he's like one of the great ones that is coming to my list the anthony anthony edwards okay um, <laughs> i don't lose a beat garrett no but you have him <laughs> and you know he has upside maybe he is that archetype of player that i can be proud of defending in two years time you know you never know with him but you get a, a defender um well you get a guy in josh christopher who's solid had a great season in arizona state um shot really well from the field like you mentioned um getting a, a defensive big in in garuba uh, you saw i mean just a couple what yesterday he he made a, a heck of an impact uh with spain um against the usa team and was really good around the basket and and, and you know just far as uh deflecting and, and being a nuisance a general deterrent in the in the in the rim area so i like these picks i think they all kind of come together in a cool way i do think maybe there is a little bit of a worry if sangoon becomes the kind of guy that you kind of go to as a go-to guy because you already kind of have a potential mouths to feed situation is down the line but obviously with with the way if you're playing through you you, you know obviously Jalen Green, and then you have uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Right now you have Christian Wood, but two years' time he could leave. If Alperin Sengun becomes that type of player that he was in the Turkish League in the NBA, at least initially, that's going to be a little bit of a, of a clash, I think, because it's a different style. They're playing through him. I doubt the Rockets are going to say, we're going to play through Sengun. I doubt that's ever going to be a plan for them unless Jalen Green goes the way of 2050 Montellus again. But going back to what I'm saying here, I think that that's not an issue because, again, they're so young, and let's say that Sengun does become that guy. You either decide to keep him and let go of green. Maybe you make the two coexist. And Kevin Porter Jr. is gone. Maybe decide Sengun is a good trade chip to let him go and bring in more assets. Like either way, you're doing the whole draft game, right? If the Houston Rockets and every move they made was a solid one, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not as concerned about the fit, especially, you know, uh, I, I definitely, I definitely understand your concern with, uh, with Kevin Porter Jr. Cause he does like to pound the rock, but uh you know, the, the fit with Jalen Green and, and Sengun, I, I actually like. I, I think they can do a lot of stuff that, say, Nikola Vucevic and Evan Fournier did with Orlando, kind of uh, with Sengun at the elbows, Green in the corner, and kind of run him off curl actions with that, that little dribble handoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those guys, that would be really, really good stuff. I, I thought Green showed enough uh, comfort off the ball in his year in the G League that, that I think it can work. And, and Sengun, you know, if, if, if his potential is fully realized, I think, again, he's kind of a lesser version of Jokic where he can, he can do a little bit of everything offensively where he can space the floor off the ball. He can run dribble handoff actions. He can post up. So, you know, if, if you're that, if he's that, if he eventually becomes that versatile, he obviously won't be as great at all the individual skills as Jokic. I don't think anyone ever will. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if he's just that versatile, and uh, you know, that that is a player that I think can fit around just about anybody. I, I agree. I think that, again, maybe, maybe I'm jumping the gun just a little bit in long-term fit, but I see what you're right in terms of a potential hub that can do uh, a little bit of everything. That is mad young as he is and can still kind of already come with an established 
uh, skill set, little little few tools in the toolbox, kind of adjust to NBA play and kind of see what goes from there. Another t- another this was more you know an individual pick that I that I really liked and and this is probably a, a bias on my part given that I was really into this player from my draft research but the Clippers getting Keon Johnson at number twenty one trading up to to get him I thought that was just a a fantastic move and he's a guy that I think fits that sort of Clippers style especially if they're with Ty Lue where they're going to continue to to uh, experiment playing with the small ball lineups, but to, to get a guy with that kind of athleticism and potential at pick number 21 and, and the fact that I think he's going to be a good defender right out of the gate, I think was a, was an absolute steal. Right. Did you think that the focus on defense for that pick was a solid one? I think so. Uh, You know, you, you talk about a guy like, you know, you know, Patrick Beverly, he's getting a little bit older uh, they've got obviously Terrence Mann, but you know, uh, as uh, as these playoffs showed, you can never have too many quality defensive players, especially as the league gets smaller, as more teams are focused on having five guys that can pass, shoot, and dribble. The you know, you you can never have too many ball hawks out there that can that can get down in a stance and and slow down the opposition. I see what you mean. I can definitely get with that. I mean, he's clearly one of the best athletes in the class uh, that fits for a Clippers team, especially off the bench that, you know, their defense, when it's turned all the way up, it's a terror already, much less guys who maybe might not be as experienced in the NBA level, but can make up with that with just their sheer terror in transition and the way they're able to, you know, bring that high energy and toughness. So I'm with you there. I was just curious in terms of having, you know, more bucket guys, I guess. And maybe that's obviously, you know, where I'm skewed team construction wise, but also in terms of just looking at the needs for the Clippers. I thought sustained scoring off the bench was something that kind of came and went, especially when it came to like a hub. Um, you looked at how, you know, a lot of, especially when Kawhi was down, which newsflash we're going to have all of Latin most of next year, it looks like was through Paul George. And if not, then you're hoping that the guy you traded for and gave an extension to Luke Kennard gave you something, you know, you don't have that uh, Lou will Montrez Harrell stuff from a year back and Reggie Jackson while shooting fire all last year. Uh, I don't know if you just want to bank on that replicating itself next season. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's a fair point. Yeah, that's probably especially yeah without Kawhi, uh, they they do need some scoring. But also, I I I worry about teams prioritizing needs when they're not fully healthy and probably aren't a championship contender without that. You know, the, the Clippers aren't winning a championship. What are you saying, Garrett? The Clippers aren't winning a championship <laughs> without Kawhi. So, you know, yes, you could you could get a guy that could somewhat fill in and make you a little bit better in the meantime. But my thought is just, just uh, you know, get the guy that you think is the best for your team moving forward, regardless of fit, and then worry about that stuff later once Kawhi is back and, and you're competing. And, you know, if Keon Johnson at that point – is not uh, is not contributing, and he has some value that you can then make a move later down the line. Okay, fair enough. I see. I see. I see where you're coming from. <laughs> now, uh, what was? Uh, did you have any teams that uh, listed that that you either liked or disliked what they did on draft night? Um, you know, I like the Nets. Um, okay. Especially, I wasn't super big on Cam Thomas. Uh, you know, offensively, obviously, boom, he's, he's good. He's been the go-to scorer. Uh, he plays like he's been the go-to scorer his entire life. Uh, you know, defensive and, re- and the lack of passing was something I was like, eh, I don't know. Like, okay, you're just giving the ball, he's going to get buckets, but can you play through him? You know, is he someone's going to have development of being that guy? Because the way he plays is certainly either that guy 
or you want him as like a key kind of shooting piece off of a contending team, which I didn't think he would fall to. And boom, he did. I mean, that's the kind of player I guess I wanted the Clippers to get where, you know, you get someone who can give him the ball, you get some good defenders, fine, but you have someone who can just put the ball in the basket. And I think with Cam Thomas, you have that guy. He can, he can, I can see him averaging, you know, 15 and 20 solid um, per game in the future. And I think that to have him coming off behind three of, just the most potent offensive weapons in NBA history is insane. Um, he's going to get the chance to kind of play within himself uh, because the Nets are championship contenders. If he's not playing well, then they'll jerk him back, you know? Um, so he's going to learn how to be more restrained because he's going to be in an environment where you're going to earn your minutes. They don't really care how good you are in scoring because they're going to be better than three ahead of you. No. Um, and so it's going to focus, that's going to force him to either focus on other faucets of his game or be out, you know, adapt or die in that way. Um, also, Dayron Sharp in the first round is pretty solid. Uh, I think that he's someone that is a pretty decent big man, take up space, rebound. You kind of need on the fly. I don't know what they're doing with DeAndre Jordan. Um, obviously losing um, Jared Allen's a thing. Now, you know, they still have some bigs, Nick Claxton, chief among them, but like he's someone that I think fits more of the big role, especially when you look at Nick. I mean, just look at Nick Claxton. That's, that's all I'm saying. Well, yeah, I mean, Sharp got uh, Kendrick Perkins endorsement, so, you know, he must uh-huh. be Oh, <laughs> you know, don't make it look a loser. Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I, I have to push back a little bit Corbin on, on you suggesting that the Nets were a winner on the night, given that, you know, they traded my boy Landry Shannon. Listen, yes. Okay. <laughs> like I, yeah, Landry, I don't know. I, I don't have, yeah, you're right. I, I am higher for Phoenix and attaining Landry Shannon than I am for the Nets getting who they got in return. Javon Carter is okay. The draft pick to me is almost inconsequential, but Javon Carter is, he's, he, he's, a, I don't, he's not as good as Shamit. That, that's just what it is. Um, definitely culture guy, you know, going to get in when he gets minutes, he's going to be a bulldog down there. Uh, he will shoot the three, which is more than you could say the last couple of years. And it's actually come, you know, sneaky good from there. But I mean, if you have to be sneaky good when Landry Shamit is just good from out there, then, you know, there's, there's a difference. So I'm with you on that. I, I guess if I had factored draft day trades or just before draft day trades, and I would, I would have to knock him as well, but just for the selections, Garrett, I, I'm going to give him a solid B on that. Nice. Well, yeah, um, there was, uh, to be honest, I it's it's hard for me to select uh, losers, you know, based on uh, you know instant analysis because we haven't gotten to see these guys play yet. But uh, one one individual deal that I thought was was uh, was poor was the New York Knicks trading pick number nineteen to the Charlotte Hornets for a future lottery protected first round pick. And uh, the the pick protections ended up, I think, being for four years where it was protected one through 18, then one through 16, then one through 14 the last two years. And then it becomes two second rounders. That's weird. So the pick essentially, you know, you're trading You're not trading the 30th pick of the first round. You're trading the 19th pick, like a mid first round pick in what I thought was and what I've heard is a solid NBA draft mm-hmm. or for a pick that has at best a chance at being number 15, but at worst a chance of not even being a first round pick at all. That, that deal just made absolutely zero sense to me. You know, when you break it down like that, I am apt to agree with you. Um, the risk reward for that doesn't seem super high where, Hey, you could have, you know, exactly the same value of a pick that you were giving away um, just in a deeper draft, or you could have nothing. 
I, I think the Knicks did fine with their the guys they they took. I I haven't watched much on Quentin Grimes, but I've heard a lot of people like him. So you know, not really looking at their draft as a as a whole as a is uh, is a, a bad night. But yeah, that in particular deal just left me pretty uh, pretty puzzled. I, I the Knicks are yeah that. They've had an interesting offseason. Um, we, I know we're going to talk about free agency in a bit, so I'm going to reserve some judgment. But um, the Knicks are the Knicks. And that's not to be mean. I mean, uh, they they just – I was expecting to be impressed with this offseason, uh, both draft and, and free agency, with just how much we talked about them from the, what the work they did the year before. But this was where, okay, do we do a clear upgrade or do we bring the game back together or do we mix the two? And we see where the Knicks leaned, and I don't know if I fully agree with it. Yeah, we'll get to the Knicks uh, in, yep. in a minute, but uh, let's talk about the the big trade that occurred on draft night, and that can lead us also into the free agency discussion. Franchise changing. Yeah, I uh, championship altering. <laughs> <laughs> I, I set out a I set out a tweet that I I wanted a a Corbin NBA uh, cam for uh, for for the news as uh, I believe it was. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski was suggesting that the the Lakers were nearing a deal to acquire Russell Westbrook, and uh, if uh, if all of you have been sleeping under a rock, uh, Corbin is uh, you know about the biggest Lakers fan <laughs> and the biggest Russell Westbrook fan. So, Ooh, Rick uh, Flair, baby, his two biggest passions sort of combining there to yes. uh, <laughs> for for that trade and the uh, the details of the trade. Essentially, it was. Contavious Caldwell Pope, uh, Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, and uh, I believe a second round pick. Is that right? Going to mm-hmm. going, going to, to Washington for for Westbrook, who joins LeBron mm-hmm. James and Anthony Davis. I, I know Corbin, you would like to refer to them as a big three. I don't know yes. if Westbrook is good enough to be. <laughs> well, you know what. <laughs> I will not have the slander, Garrett. I will not have it. I will. We will not stand for it tonight. For one, okay, we got rid of our first round pick too. Not we, the Lakers. I keep forgetting. Oh, right, that, the twenty second, the twenty second pick. Exactly. Yeah. So Lakers let go of that. But the way I look at it, we got rid of three scrubs for greatness. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, like, I think that Russell Westbrook has gotten so much slack, has been treated so unfairly. Over the last couple of seasons, mind you, is his shooting efficient? No. Has his shooting ever been efficient? Ah, he'd be hard-pressed to find a good year. He shot his best shooting from three was his MVP season. He shot 34%. Um, I've had many of my friends, uh, both on NBA Twitter and in real life, point out that that's not very good, uh, contrary to my popular belief before this. Anyways, moving on. Um, I think you have a big three because Westbrook's going to bring it every night. I think one thing the Lakers did lack on a – day-to-day basis or game-to-game basis rather should I say last season was that urgency um and this is before the injuries came they came up to such a hot start maybe they didn't think they needed but even then they had some you know nail biters against Detroit which was a good team but come on you know they had some tough games against opponents that they probably should have handled and I think a lot of that was because of course you have the grind of a short offseason but the Lakers can't even really use that excuse because it's not like they brought the whole band back together a lot of the guys they brought in were newer guys that hadn't experienced that already. So 
um, a lot of it, I think that fatigue that you're gonna, you're not going to have that listlessness. You're about to have some championship level leadership, like as, as, as championship level leadership as you can get from someone who's actually not a champion just yet in my heart. He is, but not on paper, but also you're going to get someone who's relentless rim attacks. going to open up so much space for the myriad of shooters. The Lakers are going to surround around him. I am very much looking forward to them. the Rodgers is not complete. So, you know, there's still hope for, for some more happening. They've already made some very interesting moves. You got someone who, I mean, come on, triple doubles. Oh man, my argument's already going down to that. Um, listen, <laughs> four, four, four times in five years, all right? Let the Wizards win in the playoffs in like three seasons of the playoffs. Yes, took a playing game and some other stuff, but who cares because he did that, all right? Bradley Beal, I mean, Bradley Beal's fine, but I'd like to see Bradley Beal repeat this performance with Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't see it happening. All I'm trying to say is you're about to have a guy who, yes, in clearly defined roles that work well to his strengths makes players better, okay? And I think that Anthony Davis will fit those clearly defined roles that Russell Westbrook makes players better in. That's that big man rolling or three-point shooting guy. And I think the Lakers have saw wise to that. They've been watching the same footage I've been watching. They've realized that Russell Westbrook has suffered basically all through his career because they only get one part of that conundrum, right? They usually surround him with good bigs, but not great three-point shooting. And Lakers going to match that with both. So this whole two-minute spiel is just to thoroughly endorse Russell Westbrook. Just look past the last... Look at the last 30-so games of the Wizards and, and hope that's the Russell Westbrook we're going to get. And I think that is because the power of belief. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you started that whole rant, uh, you know, saying that uh, Westbrook gets a lot of slack. And at the same time, you're, you're referring to Contavious Caldwell-Pope, the third best player, mind you, on a championship team from less than a year ago. Uh, scrub. You deemed him a scrub. Listen. <laughs> All right, maybe I was being too hard on KCP. He did help us win the championship, but last year was a down year for him. Yes, he was injured in the playoffs, but like, he's just, I mean, when you can get an all-star, superstar level talent like Russell Westbrook, you, you make that trade. I don't care if you have to get rid of your if you have to trade AD for, okay, I'm just kidding. You don't trade. I'm just playing. But the point being is like for the opportunity, I think the Lakers went the way that I understand it. If I don't thoroughly agree with it for the record, I agree with it because like, you know, I am a Russell Westbrook fan, but I think the Lakers went and said, okay, we're not going to prioritize fit right now because the buddy healed trade that was on the table, basically saying the same package while keeping Contavious Caldwell Pope. So they would have sent Montres Harrell, um, um, I'm forgetting his name already. I've already excised him from my mind. Kyle Kuzma. (laughs) He's no longer a Laker. He doesn't exist. No, but they would have traded Kyle Kuzma, a mantra Harrell and the pick, and maybe even not the pick for Buddy Heald. And that would have been a decent package in terms of fit, but they prioritized a superstar upside. And I think, or let me say for some star upside, and that's fine. Russell Westbrook at worst is a star. And I think that with the way the Lakers saw the supporting cast of them work out the year before and the year before that, they thought, okay, let's try to swing, bring in someone who can be a third part of that big three. Um, I'm going to say, you know, medium size to, to large three, and then you revamp your supporting cast. I like it. It's definitely a bold decision, especially since Russell Westbrook is the type of star that he teams kind of curve to him, um, which can be good or bad. I mean, we've seen teams curve to LeBron James teams curve, you know, eighties, probably the, the least, um, I think where you can like, I don't want to say least utility, but like you can put him in a spot and he can kind of be that guy without having teams fit a certain kind of way around him. You know, he played alongside Omar Ashik. He played alongside DeMarcus Cousins. He thrived either way. Um, But 
like Russell Westbrook in a certain type of way, the team is going to be skewed. I think that this works for the Lakers because they have someone who, in theory, can eat up minutes of the offense when LeBron's on the floor. Um, Russell Westbrook can still run an offense. I think we can still, you know, lead the league in assist percentage, you know, had assist per game. Like, he is still that guy from that aspect. I just think we focus too much on his weaknesses and not enough on the strengths that he's bringing to LA. Yeah, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to try my best to, to put on an optimistic hat here and I'm just to give it your best shot, Garrett. I believe in you and, and give a best case <laughs> scenario here. My thought is, you know, yes, as you said, if if Russell Westbrook gives us, you know, gives the Lakers a full season of what he did the last three months with Washington or what he did the last three months with Houston the year before, you know, that that's a solid player for sure. But, uh, you know, the, the, the issue with Westbrook for the past, uh, it's, it's, it's become a trend for the past three or four years where, you know, he has great stretches, but he also has terrible stretches. Uh, so, so obviously the hope is that he, he puts together his first from start to finish great season that he's had in since probably his MVP year. Um, but there we the, go. The, the, other, the other thing too is, you know, the Lakers – Despite uh, you know LeBron and AD going uh, going down with injuries at the end of last season, I think they went seven and ten without either of them on the court. The hope is with Westbrook around, if one of those guys goes down, or God forbid both, that he can keep them closer to to five hundred. Uh, just with his uh, ability to you know, despite being a, a bit inefficient, still being able to create offense. He's done it before. The, the, other, yeah, the, the other thing is, you know, you, you hope that with Frank Vogel and this defensive culture that the Lakers have fostered over the last couple of years that Westbrook doesn't have as many moments where he spaces out and loses track of his man and gambles unnecessarily. Uh, you know, I, 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 I tried to I tried to do my best there, Corbin. How, how'd I do? You, you know what, Garrett? I, I, I'll I'll give you a pat on the back. I'm proud of you, buddy. You you did you did okay. That was as close to a nuanced take as I'll get here, and I'll accept it. I understand. I, I heard the trepidation in your voice, but you tried to put on a good front, and, and I appreciate that. As your friend, that means a lot. Um, oh, and, and actually, being... I had I had one more one more thing that that I think uh, could be. You were going so well. Well, no, this another <laughs> another positive. Um, oh, great, great, great. Okay. This, <laughs> Perhaps with Westbrook, you can make it so that LeBron and Davis, basically, you don't have to stagger those two. You play LeBron and Davis basically the same minutes, and you stagger Westbrook to play more with the second unit, for one, so Westbrook, you know, can can have those moments where he's dominating the ball because, you know, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that allows LeBron and Davis to maybe get more minutes without him on the floor um, and, and then you, you hopefully can dominate those minutes. And then Westbrook with four role players say that those minutes can kind of be, you, you play those even, and that's a winning formula. So that, that would be an, another possibility that just his having that third guy that can, that can create offense, the way you stagger the minutes, that's the advantage of having a, an extra creator. Um, but, uh, Corbin, are you ready for the down, my downside argument? You know what? Give it to me straight, Garrett. Okay. All right. So the Lakers won the championship in in 2020 in large part despite not having ideal spacing, right? They they played a traditional center, 
And, uh, you know, but they still had the likes of Danny Green, KCP, they had Avery Bradley, he, you know, although he didn't join in the bubble, he was, a, you know, a solid shooter during the regular season. The, um, the other thing about the, the bubble run, though, was that Anthony Davis, as, a, as the power forward, shot the lights out with the jumper. And yep. that has not been the case the entire rest of his career, including last season. So your concern is, you know, this team has has brought Dwight Howard back. It's got uh, it's got Marcus Saul, who's a reluctant three point shooter. It's got Anthony Davis, who, again, does not have the greatest history as a shooter. And now you add Russell Westbrook to the mix. And all of a sudden, this team's offensive spacing is just absolutely horrendous. And we've seen it over the years, especially come playoff time that teams completely ignore Russell Westbrook off the ball and guys like LeBron and AD are, you know, reliant on that space around the basket, especially if they're playing with a center. I I just, you know, imagining lineups where the Lakers are trying to score when you've got Davis, LeBron, Dwight Howard and Westbrook on the floor at the same time. I, I can't fathom how that half court offense is going to be good at all. Now, I, I mean, this is coming and yet still I'm flabbergasted. No, I think that I agree. I'll, I'll, let me start by saying I agree with that. There are going to be moments where it's going to look clunky. There are going to be moments where you're looking at a lot of, like, I would say cold spells from shooting or potentially cold spells. I just, my argument would be that just like if you stagger Russ, I think you would stagger Dwight Howard as well, so that you're at least having the threat of spacing with Marcus Gasol, which you always have. Whether or not he'll take the shot can kill you, but usually it's after they sell out and you're like, why didn't you take the shot? You know what I mean? That's more of what I look at with Marcus Gasol there. You at least have that in theory. And we saw it in the playoffs. When he was in the playoffs, I mean, the last couple of games, once he started starting, um, or getting more of the minutes over Drummond, it instantly changed for the Lakers' favor. There was so much more room just because the threat of Gasol as a shooter, and when he actually did take it, shot at a decent clip, one of the only Lakers to actually shoot decently from three, both in the regular season and the postseason, is enough to defer, to ter- to deter um, a defense from sagging in. So I think you'd have to m- have um, a lot more versatile lineups where you always have one shooter on the floor. This will line up more when we go into our free agency talk, but I think the Lakers have done a good job of at least having some decent guys out there where the worst three-point shooter you have is probably shooting about average of what our best three-point shooters were shooting last year um, in terms of, okay, they can make the shot some of the time where some of our better three-point shooters on the roster now um, are going to be shooting at a high clip. And so you mix and match having, you know, Dwight Howard maybe out surrounded by shooters and maybe not having Russ out there, maybe having um, a guard we'll get to in a little bit, maybe Kendrick Nunn, you know, the guy who can space the floor and shoot the mid-range and shoot the three, maybe having Russ out where you have some more standstill shooters. And so what you're doing is you're optimizing the lineup around whoever your primary ball handler is. Um, and then come crunch time, that's where Frank Vogel's going to have a decision to make. And in this case, we've seen him before do it. I think Russell Westbrook, not just being here this year, but also next year, I think you, you hope that Russ, that um, Coach Vogel is not under any qualms of having to please anyone or have politics come in the way of just putting out the most optimal matchup. If Russell Westbrook is not the most optimal matchup in closeout time because he can't shoot, then hopefully you take him out and bring in someone who can. Yeah, that is that is the biggest issue, though, because as as you said, he's he's a big name. He's a quote unquote star. He's a star. Come on, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a superstar. I'll agree with you there. But he, come on, he 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 was like, would you? I would say top thirty this league this year, I mean, even I, if he's I, number thirty. 
again, I would say that if he had played like he had the last three months for the entire season, I, I might agree with you. But if we're taking into account the entirety of the year, I would I would not say that he was a top 30 player. But um, the uh, that's that is a big issue with Russell Westbrook, though, is, you know, again, yeah, I, I know Vogel has made some some great choices down the stretch of games at times of you saw him sit Schroeder last year at, at, at crucial moments when he was struggling. Uh, so, so he has done that, but he's never had a guy this, the, that uh, has as much sort of, uh, I guess, uh, as much of uh, name recognition as Westbrook. And sitting Westbrook in the last couple of minutes of a playoff game is a whole other level uh, of a coaching decision. Uh, so, so, yeah, I, I have my doubts that that would happen. Uh, I think if you trade for Russell Westbrook, you're – and, and paying him 40 plus million dollars, you're, you're going to have him in the game in the last couple of minutes. But uh, I, I wanted to talk about one of the points you made, which is, yeah, maybe they won't play the likes of Russ and Howard together, given the lack of spacing. So yeah, you, and I agree that they should probably try to match Russ and Gasol as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But the more you do that, then the, then to me that takes even more away from LeBron and Davis because then that forces the Dwight Howard minutes to be with those two guys. And then you're just uh, continuing to limit those minutes where you've got AD at the five and LeBron at the four, which are their best lineups. I feel like a lot of the questions. Also, I I should mention too, that Taylor Horton Tucker, you know, they, they re-signed him. They're going to have him as one of the key players in the rotation, but he Mm -hmm. is not, he is not a shooter either. So Yet. all of a sudden you've got, you know, again, with Davis, with LeBron, with Westbrook, with Dwight Howard, with Taylor Horton Tucker, uh, it, it gets really difficult really fast to, to put out lineups for all 48 minutes that, that have three to four shooters. And, and that's what you need in today's game. All right. I think, I think I can't, I can't argue this. I'll go into all the free agent moves that we made today because yeah let's, I, let's get I, into it yeah i mean just off of the lakers and it's funny i was just um making this point when i was doing a round ball ramble kind of reviewing the lakers moves and going okay we can see that they made the trade for russell westbrook however you feel about that and then went and had a clearly defined um need that they were going with and a lot of that was with shooting um taylor horn tucker obviously being one i think that the money he got was uh, on his de- potential development to shoot. He's not a good shooter right now, but he is one thing that Alex Russo is not in terms of being a willing three-point shooter. Maybe he continues to build on that. That is the hope, at least. Um, I don't look at him as like an eternal non-shooter. I definitely look at him like a Russell Westbrook, where we have so much years of experience proving that Russell Westbrook is not a good three-point shooter to suggest that he has upside with that three-point shooting. But when I look at the Lakers right now, um, they went and, and made some moves to get players – that shot decently or to above average from three. Uh, we're talking Trevor Reza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk. Uh, these guys are all solid three-point shooters. Kendrick Nunn has shot well from three uh, over mention, the past. Did you mention Mello yet? Uh, I, did, I, did, I, did I mention Carmelo? I think I did. Yeah, no, I know. I, no, I didn't. I didn't mention Mello. You're right. I thought I did already in my notes, but no, I did not. Carmelo as well. My fault. <clears throat> Ten time. NBA all-star Carmelo Anthony, all right? So, <laughs> so you add these guys, and now 
at all these positions. I mean, maybe your worst three-point shooter is someone like Kent Bazemore, you know, 33-34. I'll still take that. He shot better than that with the Warriors last season. Trevor Reza has been a solid middling three-point shooter. That's still more spacing they had, and people do watch him. We've seen him shoot threes of high volume with the Rockets for years, you know, with the with the um when he was with the Wizards Suns. That's kind of his game. Wayne Ellington, one of the better three-point shooters out there, one of the better three-point um, shooting free agents out there. Carmelo Anthony is almost fully adopted now, the role-player gunner role. He unfortunately can do a little else at this point, but he shoots a three, shot it above 40% or just about for the last couple of years. Malik Monk has kind of started to fully embrace the shooting potential that we thought we saw in him when he was drafted from Kentucky. And Kendrick Nunn's had a solid couple of years shooting a three, too. So now, all of a sudden, when everyone else on your team can shoot, you're not going to have the five that we bring up that can't shoot all on the floor at the same time for crunch time or together. So I'd imagine if you can get one or two guys who can provide optimal spacing, I'm okay with that. We looked at the Bucks and Suns uh, finals. They didn't have great shooting when you look at the numbers ultimately on either of those rosters in terms of who played, how well they shot, but we saw the Bucks make it work. And I think the Lakers can do similar, if not just as good. I, I saw a, uh, I saw a, a tweet earlier today that was basically referencing how old the Lakers are now. And all of these guys are, are up there in the, in the early to mid to late thirties. But uh, one of the ones that shocked me was that Wayne Ellington apparently is only 32. Like he feels like he's just been around forever. Wow. Uh, But uh, that, that surprised me a little bit, but yeah, I, um, you know, after the Westbrook deal, they obviously didn't have a ton of flexibility to to offer contracts that were more than the minimum. And to get all of those guys you mentioned, I think was a great haul for the Lakers. Uh, the and, and, and as you said, yes, they they have added plenty of guys that can shoot the basketball. But my concern, you know, especially with we, we haven't gotten to the departure of Alex Caruso to Chicago. The the trade of of KCP in that Westbrook deal, the um, the issue for me is, and again, when it comes to the postseason, you need lineups that uh, that are good on both ends of the floor. And yes, if you were to tell me this team has great offensive lineups and great defensive lineups, I would completely agree with you. But my concern is, and, and I'm curious to get your take and maybe what five guys you would you would say would, should be out there at the end of, a say, an NBA Finals Game 7, but what is the best two-way lineup that this Lakers team can, can offer? Okay, so I have to answer the first question by saying that I don't think that you need um, a, a good defense in the playoffs. I think you need that more in the finals. My Exhibit A would be the 2017 Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, with that being said, I do think if you look at the team right now, I think that your best two-way, and this is assuming that Russell Westbrook is engaged. I want to think that he's going on a team that he decided to choose. He had a lot of conversation with LeBron and AD. I think that some of that has to matter in terms of, you know, being accepted by those two to be traded to the Lakers. So I'm going to I'm gonna put that there. I'm going to put Russell at the one. Um, for the two, we're going to put Wayne Ellington. He's decent up there. For the three, I'm going to put, Trevor Ariza for the four, I'm putting LeBron James for the five, I'm putting Anthony Davis. I think that works best optimally on spacing on the offensive end. Um, the only real non-shooter you have there is Russell Westbrook. Um, you have a guy in Trevor Ariza who will take and make threes. 
um, unless it's game seven and two years or three years ago against the Warriors. You have a guy in Wellington who knows a good shooter and also a decent enough defender. You have LeBron, you have AD. I like that lineup as, as a two-way. And I think we might see that once in a while. Yeah, so I guess my response to that lineup is that the backcourt defense is pretty rough. <laughs> you don't like – you okay, when Russ is engaged, do you think – I don't think it's rough when he's engaged. I just don't think he's been engaged and or been challenged recently to do so. I mean, if you look at his last couple of coaches' situations, you know, he had Billy Donovan as a coach in OKC. He was the guy in OKC. Try telling him to do anything there. In Houston, you know, he joined James Harden. It was James Harden's team. We've seen his approach to defense – as well as coach Mike D'Antoni's. Then you go back to Washington, his old coach, Scott Brooks, who, you know, they had a good relationship there. And also might I add that Washington's approach to defense was less than astute there. So I feel like you go to a team now that has made its mark on defense, as well as the culture that's already been established with LeBron and AD. And you have coach Vogel, who's known defensively putting players in the best position for their defensive talents or lack thereof. I think we do see an engaged Russell. I, I don't have an argument for Wayne Allington, unfortunately. Yeah, I, uh, you know, Westbrook is a guy, I think, defensively that when he's when he's engaged, it's usually because his man has the basketball and he's guarding him and everyone's watching. Um, Historically, I agree with that. That's true. When he's off the ball, he can get lost and lose track of his guy and and just has a, a bunch of mental lapses. That's my that's my main issue with Russ as a defender. But, uh, you know, to be honest, Corbin, I think I, I agree with four of the five guys. I would actually put Baysmore in ahead of Wayne Ellington at the two as my closing lineup if, if I were the coach. I like that. It's a little bit of a knock on shooting, but definitely an upgrade on the defensive side of the ball. A little more length, a little more. Yeah, I like that. That's true. And yeah. you're right. It's more it, switchable, it, too. It makes it. Uh, yeah, there isn't like a, a, a real weak link to attack defensively. And, and yes, he's not as good of a shooter as Ellington, but he's a pretty solid spot up guy. Um, but yeah, that even your lineup with Ellington, though, uh, I don't think is has the greatest spacing in the world. Again, assuming I mean, it, it would require Anthony Davis to be shooting like he did in the bubble for that to be a good shooting lineup. Um, <laughs> given the limitations of Westbrook as a, as a complete non-shooter, Trevor Ariza is, you know, I would describe him. Yes. He, he gets shots up. He's a little bit below average in terms of his efficiency, but given the high volume, I would describe him as an average three point shooter. So, you know, you've got a below average one in Westbrook, an average one in Ariza, a, you know, a, a really good one in in Ellington, a decent one in LeBron, and an average to below average one at Davis. That 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 is not ideal spacing. I'm going to push back a little bit on that. I think that with with um, Trevor Rees, that means a career 35 percent shooter from three. Shot exactly that last year. Has had um, what a couple of years over 37% from three. I, I think he gets it up on decent volume. I think the lowest volume he's had is just under four a game back in that 2020 season. Usually he's getting five or more attempts. So I think you have a solid guy who has proven that he can take and make a decent enough percentage. I think, um, with LeBron, obviously, you know you're shooting there. I think he's decent there as well. Wayne Ellington above average there for Anthony Davis. I don't think he's subpar he's average for his position. Um, optimally, you don't want Anthony Davis to play that much outside shooting jumpers. You want him to play more in as the big, as the five around the basket. So if he's playing that much out consistently that you have to focus on that much of the shooter, then maybe you have a little bit of a problem there. And I'll agree on that. But for the most part, I don't think that his 
relative subpar shooting um, is bad. I think it's pretty decent for his position and for this lineup. I think you want him optimally in pick and roll and stuff. So I don't see it as a major issue there. Westbrook, again, I can't cover for him because we know what he is a shooter. Um, and it's not good. And I would love to. But as far as the surrounding talent, no, even historically speaking, I think you look at these guys. They're good shooters. They're not like lights out great Duncan Robinsons, but unfortunately, there aren't a lot of teams that have like four or five Duncan Robinsons. You're going to have decent shooting. I would put this Lakers right now in terms of historically speaking to some of the Rockets teams, but a little bit better because the Rockets had a culture of being able to shoot threes, even if you didn't have guys who historically were able to knock them down consistently. But if you look at the signings the Lakers have had, I mean, the last, what, latest three or four guys have consistently shot, you know, 35% or better from three. That's that's a good sample size of average three-point shooting. Yeah, it's, again, it's just the the fact that uh, I, I don't trust AD shooting from the bubble. I think his shooting for the rest of his career is more reminiscent of what he is as a shooter, which, again, uh, you, you, you said it is, it's at least average for his position, but it's not anything special. And then you talk about Ariza. Yeah, uh, I, I mentioned it. Yeah, his volume's good. His his efficiency is pretty much league average, I think. That's good, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, with with Westbrook, who is absolutely a non-shooter, having a couple of other guys that are just average is going to weigh you down quite a bit from a, from a shooting perspective and a spacing standpoint. But did it okay my next argument there is that russell has had less shooting in the past and mind you first round's a problem but also he hasn't had a lebron or anthony davis like that's where the superstar talent comes in he's had less shooting you know i mean when's the last time that russ had good shooting i mean the rockets you could say that but even then i mean if you look at that year a lot of them did not shoot great you know the wizards i mean come on they barely had guards and forwards much less three-point shooting they're one of the worst in, in attempts and accuracy and if you go back to okc i can tell you that the roster lineup in and lineup out um we're looking a lot at jeremy grant to provide spacing jeremy grant and paul george so like i think that you can get a certain level of success with russell westbrook despite his scoring struggles because we've seen that happen right now it's a hard first round of the playoffs second round if you're houston you know in the bubble it's like we know that. And that's why I'm looking primarily at LeBron and AD to kind of elevate that because Westbrook as the lead guy, yes, it's a hard ceiling. You're going to make the playoffs. It's just that's him. But he is not the lead guy here, you know? And I think that you're surrounding him not only with lineups that are superior in terms of a spacing aspect historically than anything Russell's had since, I don't even know. But also, you have guys who in LeBron and AD can take over and consistently have taken over game series by themselves much less with, you know, a couple of three-point shooters and a guy in Westbrook who, you know, when engaged and half efficient can make an impact. I think that we're knocking Westbrook so much that maybe he's discounting the shooters that are there. Yes, they're not amazing, but, like, they're also not – like, you have to defend them. I think that's the point. Like, the gravity is that they do have some because you're not just leaving them open like you would Caruso and Tatum Tucker. Now, a lot of stuff, Russell Westbrook and Tatum Tucker, yes, no defending that. It's not going to be great unless – at least until he consistently shows a stroke. But if you look at these guys that the Lakers have just signed, I, I, I'm hard-pressed to think that – and, I mean, if I'm proven wrong, I'm sure you'll remind me and, you know, we'll have a laugh and maybe a, a, a mirthful chuckle at my expense, but – at this point right now, I think that it's, it's, it could it be better from a shooting perspective. Of course. I just don't know where right now. Well, yeah, again, I think the fact that the, the Lakers are, are going to give Horton Tucker minutes, they're going to give a traditional center plenty of minutes, at least during the regular season. Uh, you know, 
Yes. Is this better than those OKC teams from spacing perspective? Absolutely. I would Washington. say they're mm-hmm. they're probably on par with the spacing in in Washington. I mean, they, they have Bradley Beal and Davis Bertans, like two okay. guys are known as great great shooters. I I, I can't let you know. I'm sorry. You, yeah, those guys are known as good shooters. Davis Bertans had a down year from three last year. Bradley Beal. When he, I mean, when he wasn't injured, he played well. I mean, he played well. I can't, I can't not Bradley Bill, but that's basically one other guy, one other guy. And we saw Davis Batons. I mean, I listen as the Westbrook fan. I watched a lot of Wizards basketball. Um, it took a while for the guy to get going. That's all I'm gonna say. It took a while for the guy to get going. Outside of that, we're looking at Ish Smith and Raul Neto, um, Rui Hachimura. No, I'm no, absolutely not. I'm sorry, I cannot defend that. <laughs> I cannot defend that. There's a reason they didn't take a lot of threes. The ones who did, you had one guy who should have in Beal and Bertans. So two guys. No, one guy who should have in, in Beal. One guy who you're okay with in Bertans. One guy who shouldn't have in Russ. But the other guys out there shooting that, I, I'm looking at their roster right now just to try to make sure that my eyes don't deceive me um, in terms of percentage. No, their best three-point shooter accuracy-wise, Davis Bertans shot 39%. That's solid. Raul Neto, Garrison Matthews on less than four a game. Then we're at Ish Smith, um, and of course Bradley Beal at thirty four percent. No, I, I, I just don't think they had enough. I think you bring these Lakers in. If, uh, I'll make a deal with you. If the Lakers don't shoot better than the Wizards did, uh, drinks on me next time we go to Vegas. Well, again, like if you just if you were to just tell me, yeah, I mean we we brought up the names: Carmelo Anthony, Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk. Yeah, they they added some forty percent three point shooters. But my yes. my concern is. How much are those guys going to actually play? You know, I, I feel like Taylor Horton Tucker is above all of those guys in the rotation. I feel like, you know, Marcus, if you combine Marcus all and Dwight Howard, those two guys are going to play more minutes than any of those three players. So that's, that's the thing is yes, they've added in free agency here, some guys that are, that are known as great shooters, but given their defensive limitations, given the other players that they have on this roster, I just question, you know, how much those guys are actually going to play to make life easier for Westbrook. Now, again, I, I think the, the shooting is, is decent for Russ. It's, it's one of the better situations he's been in. I would say it's, it's still far worse than the Houston situation where they had four three-point shooters and no traditional center where he was able to get to the rim at will. I think that was just an optimal situation for him. And, and this Lakers team is not that. I think that you have a better big in Anthony Davis than as opposed to no big, of course. I mind you, they traded Clint Capello just because of the spacing issues presented by Russell Westbrook. I think also in terms of um uh in terms of lineup order, yeah, you would imagine. I, I think that Taylor Tucker is definitely going to get a defined role just by nature of the contract but i definitely wouldn't consider him um i definitely wouldn't consider him like a lock over guys who can shoot the ball because if you need shooting on the floor that's just what's needed you know what i mean unless Taylor horn tucker and I, i'm i'm banking on his development just as sure as i am with the lakers it's been known that Taylor horn tht needs to add a reliable outside shot three-point shot and make that happen but if not no those guys have the bench ground to play because just for the sake of 
oxygen for the offense. You're not just going to run THT out there just because you have to. I mean, if you watch last year, Tayhorn Tucker, even when there are moments where he could get in there, was only getting in there when, you know, it's okay, we need a spark off the dribble. I could see him kind of taking on some of those roles, maybe alongside, let's say you sit LeBron and Russell Westbrook, or you have um, Russell Westbrook out and you can play Tayhorn Tucker with him. Like, he's going to take more of like a backup point guard role the way I see it, Um, or maybe even a slashing two or three. But I think I'm losing my argument here. I'm losing my 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 point or my place. I think that in terms of having a big situation, I'd rather if, if we're comparing it to the Westbrook situation where they had no big. I think that yeah, the situation's okay. But uh, you know, now you have a big that can play inside or outside in, in Anthony Davis. And yes, could he be better from outside? Of course he could. But like, I think it's a night and day difference between starting you know PJ Tucker and um Robert Covington at the four and five and going to war against these big teams yeah I mean well yeah I'm, I'm speaking strictly offensively obviously yeah, having Anthony Davis at center is is better than than having no center uh <laughs> okay yeah because I'm like I, I feel also I have to say real quick I, I don't mean to catch you off. I see what you're saying no I didn't mean to insinuate that in that way I'm just saying like in terms of, of with the Rockets I think sold out to an extreme degree to make that spacing for us. I think that it could have been done different ways. They went and made the deal. I think that it probably had more to do with getting off of Capella's contract than anything else. It was a nice cover to say, oh, we're going to do it to support Russell Westbrook. But I just don't think that was the sole desire. Um, and I mean, even then, I, I have hope that that might have worked out a little differently if, you know, Russ was actually healthy in the playoffs. Nobody likes to talk about that. Everybody brings up the bubble, but nobody brings up the fact that Russ wasn't healthy. Yeah. Um... The it'll be interesting to see the lineups that Vogel goes with. And that's my biggest issue with the Lakers roster. As, as I said, I think they've done an admirable, admirable job with the limited resources that they had to get some guys that, you know, are NBA caliber rotation pieces for sure. Mm -hmm. But my biggest issue again is speaking to, you know, okay, yes. If, if you play Carmelo, Ellington, and Monk together with Russ and, say, Anthony Davis, yeah, you've got plenty of shooting. But then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well then, how are you looking on the defensive end of the floor? And that's that's where I have the, the biggest challenge thinking about, okay, in, in a Western Conference playoff series, you know, what are these lineups that, that get it done on both ends of the floor, have enough shooting to uh, to really make teams pay for for helping on on those rust drives those uh, Davis potential lobs the LeBron slashes and uh, yeah it's it's kind of a you know Vogel is going to have a really tough balance to strike between getting enough shooting out there but also making sure that there's enough defensive talent on the floor. Fair enough. I have to agree with you there. That's one place I'm not even going to attempt to put an argument. Defensively, they're going to be a step backwards from last year. There's no way you take off the core that you had. You lose Alex Caruso. You lose the guys you did. Bring in the guys that you brought in and then say, okay, we're going to be just as average on defense. You have to hope that, you know, Coach Vogel can execute schemes that will eke out every bit of potential defensively that he can. Um, hope that Russell Westbrook and others come engaged and that some of these old legs can be fresh enough to execute those schemes. Uh, aside from that, you're going to have to go back to the good old-fashioned LeBron days without scoring them. But I think with that mindset, the Lakers are a better position to do that than they've ever been since LeBron's been a Laker. Yeah, I shouldn't have been surprised that uh, the, the Lakers discussion went uh, a lot longer than expected, but uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's move on to, to another team that uh, 
uh, you brought up earlier, and that is the New York Knicks. How are you feeling about uh, about New York's offseason and free agency in particular? I feel very meh about New York. I mean, you know, they they were they had a point where one could wonder if they overachieved. One could wonder if they did, you know, just right um, in terms of, you know, playing like it was the 90s, going at it hard 100% of the time, you know, games that were like the late 90s, early 90s with, you know, 89 81 victories in the whole nine. Um, you had Derrick Rose come in, play the final 37 games, and just do an amazing job there, give the Knicks offense a big boost. Uh, Julius Randle had a great season. The Knicks played very well. Then we saw the postseason was a totally different thing. Offense just decided not to start. Uh, they weren't able to contain Trey Young, and they went down unceremoniously in five games uh, to the point Trey Young actively mocking the guard, and it was bad. So you're at a spot now where the Knicks could have revamped. You know, they had the most cap space of any team in the league. They could have went and said, okay, we're going to, you know, fundamentally revamp our team, bring in some, you know, as big a hit as we can, maybe focus more on, on a, a, a long-term kind of fresh point guard. You know, there's some clear needs to address. They could have went and did that. Or they could have said, okay, we're going to stay the course and bring the whole gang back together, which was another option. Or they could have went and did a mix. And that's kind of what the Knicks ended up doing. Um, then retaining their free agents, uh, at least most of the important ones, they did lose Reggie Bullock. He went to the uh, Mavs on a what three or thirty million dollar deal, but they did keep Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, and Nerlens Noel. Derrick Rose they kept for three years and forty three million. Alec Burks they kept for three years and thirty million, and then Nerlens Noel they kept as well. Um, I think for the same the same amount. I think it was three years thir- three years um, thirty or three years twenty seven. If I'm remembering this right, I should have this yeah, on. Yeah, uh, I've got this somewhere. Let me find it here real quick yeah so burks was three for 30 noel three for 32 and oh uh rose was three for three for 43 and then they went and made the deal for evan fournier that is four years and can be up to 78 million with the team option that fourth year so yeah they made some moves i just Question marks on all of them. I mean, the one that I'm most solid about, I didn't realize was 32 at the moment. Jeez. But Nerlens Noel, I like Nerlens Noel. I think, you know, he's 27. You're going to get him through his athletic prime, especially for the archetype of player that he is, which is that rim running, big, you know, that deterrent around the rim, that that presence there. Uh, he averaged what? 2.2 blocks a game, as well as 6.4 rebounds and five points a game. So you know he's going to do. He's going to get his. Doesn't any plays run for him? And you're maximizing the best of his athletic prime. And he's teaming up with Mitchell Robinson. So I do like the tandem there. I don't have similar questions with Alec Burks either. I mean, he is 30, um, but he's a guy who shot the three ball pretty well historically. Has done so. Um, he slashes pretty well. And I think he can give the Knicks some instant offense in spurts. I have some questions just because it is a longer term deal for a guy that you know defensively is there. Eh. And that's just a question there, but he's okay. Um, a similar question comes with Derrick Rose. I mean, he's 32, had a great year with New York, had a great postseason with them too, but he's battled injury history, injury issues literally his whole career, basically. Um, and do we expect to get better as he ages 33, 34, 35? I'm not optimistic, especially for that money. Then last but not least, Evan Fournier. Now, mind you, I've had issues with Evan Fournier from Sports Business Classroom when I wanted to trade him despite knowing that we couldn't bring anyone back for him. Yeah, shout out to Orlando Magic that year, y'all. Anyways, I feel it's a lot of money for someone who we've seen him kind of tap out as an offensive initiator in Orlando with Nikola Vucevic. Like, we've seen this story before in terms of, yes, he can create a little bit for himself and a little bit for others, but can't do either reliably enough come postseason to make that much of an impact. And you're paying him a tremendous amount to replicate what he's already proven. 
which is a clear ceiling in my opinion. Like, I don't understand what you're, yeah, he's a solid guard. I just think that's kind of rich. And the team option's nice for New York. They have a little bit more um, uh, security on that on their own end, but the fact they're giving him those first three for a solid guard, yes. But, I mean, the way that they have him in, he seems to be like the big splash to kind of be that guy alongside Julius Randle in terms of consistent offense and Derrick Rose to a lesser extent, and I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard uh, the fourth year being a team option. Yeah, that makes me feel better about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, I think it's an overpay. I think Fournier is more like probably in the 13 to 15 million uh, range in terms of a fair value, whereas they're giving him, you know, upwards of 19. Um, but uh, I think he's actually going to be a great fit on this Knicks team. You know, he's basically – He's essentially going to be replacing Bullock in that starting lineup, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think the you know Bullock provided floor spacing for them, but that's all Bullock does, right? He he just stands there and shoots. Very Four, true. Fournier's versatility to get the rebound and grab and go. He's a good passer. He can spot up and and do just about as well with that as Bullock, but he can also run off a scr- of curl screens off the ball. He can run a little pick and roll. And this Knicks offense, you saw it in the postseason, uh, just throwing the ball to Julius Randle, relying on nothing but Derrick Rose and Alec Burks. It's just not good enough. So getting an extra element to their offense, I think is going gonna, is gonna to help them quite a bit. So I actually really like the fit for Fournier. Yeah, I do think it's just a tad rich on the the annual salary though. Yeah, I mean, you can make it a little bit better. I, maybe I was looking at him taking on too much of a, of a overshare of the offensive role down the stretch, but you're right. If he's just filling in Reggie Bullock's role, he's a lot more versatile in terms of, you know, actual ball initiate um, offensive initiation. In addition to shooting that Reggie Bullock just didn't provide, like you said, catch and shoot and little else. And you're hoping that also, you know, if the Knicks are hoping to take the next step, it, it would likely involve RJ Barrett taking an, a leap. And hopefully he can develop a little bit more as an on-ball player and as a shot creator, uh, playmaker type. So that would be another thing that you're hoping for is that, you know, yeah, you're, you're adding to your team with Fournier. You're keeping a lot of the other pieces, but then you're hoping for some internal development from the likes of, of RJ Barrett and, uh, and Emmanuel quickly to, to, to take the next step. That is true. I almost forgot about RJ Barrett. Lord have mercy. Yeah, he's someone else that you're right can you know step up in a major way and has shown improvement this past season. So you know continue to build on that, move forward like you mentioned Emmanuel quickly as well. Someone who had a, a great year last year and can hopefully only continue that. Um, you just have to wonder if the Knicks. I mean, at, at best, I think they've locked themselves in for that six seed area. Maybe they can go higher if injuries hit, you know, with some of the upper echelon team. But if I look at the East as it stands right now, you look at the Bucks who just won it all. You look at Brooklyn. You look at those Miami made. You look at Philadelphia. Uh, I, I, you look at Atlanta. And then I look at the Knicks. So, I mean, they just did really expensive to kind of stay right where they were, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. You know, Fournier is a, is a nice starting caliber player, but he's not, you know, a huge game changer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about the bulls because they had one of the, the more interesting uh, first day and a half or so of free agency. They uh, ended up sign and trading for Lonzo ball. They ended up sending out Thomas Sadoransky, Garrett temple and a second round pick. 
signed Ball to a four-year, $85 million contract. Then uh, did another sign-and-trade with the Spurs, sent out Thad Young, a future first-round pick, and a second for DeMar DeRozan to then sign him to a three-year, $85 million deal. And we also brought this up earlier with the Lakers section that they uh, they snagged Alex Caruso away from the Lake Show on a four-year, $37 million contract. So what are your thoughts about the, the new-look Chicago Bulls? I think they're interesting. I don't really even really know what to think. I was talking about this earlier. Like, I, I'm, I'm still trying to find out my thoughts on them. Um, I think that the, they, they definitely have a positive uh, look so far. I think that you not only add your guard depth, but you enhance it, you diversified it. You do bring in some more defense with Lonzo Ball, with Alex Caruso. Alex Caruso is one of the better defenders for the Lakers the last couple of years. He's someone I think is going to mesh in really well. Um, DeMar DeRozan, uh, yeah, for 28 mil per year. Uh, but, you know, he's someone that has proven to be, an I want to say, still underrated offensive initiator. Uh, over the last couple of years in San Antonio, you still bring that. He can, you know, keep bench lines. He can be another playmaker um, while you play Lonzo as a wing alongside Zach Levine if you wanted to and have DeMar DeRozan be the de facto point guard. By the way, as someone who played a lot of his time at Power Forward last year for the Spurs. So you have some lineup versatility there um, alongside Caruso, alongside the Zach Levine uh, Nikola Vucevic kind of courts you have going on and you have Patrick Williams and you have coming off the bench, at least um, when he recovers from injury, Kobe White. So you have some really nice pieces. I think how it comes together is going to be different. Um, and obviously it's going to be a mix of styles because DeRozan, you know, plays free throw lining in. Zach Levine kind of spaced from all over. Lonzo Ball is kind of a three guy, although he's kind of worked on his mid-range shot this past year. You have a guy in Vooch. Do you know where he likes the ball? So it's going to be a little bit of, of, of melding together, but it should work. I actually like that Vooch posted this old photo of him and DeMar DeRozan basically defending this guy's shot. Um, it doesn't have a good, clear enough picture of both of them, but it's like they're all in the same picture because they played together in USC for a year. Um and I thought it was hilarious to kind of see if they have some history there together as well. So obviously they're totally different players from since from that point, but at the same time, yeah, I think that they've put themselves in that mix too. Again, they're right there to me where the Knicks are. I don't see them vaulting over the next like four or five teams already mentioned that have made moves around the margins or, or made major moves if you're Miami, but at the same point, uh, this is a team that has some depth, has some lineup versatility, has some good offense, has some decent defense. And I think this shows the front office of Chicago making the first like, decent series of moves in a couple of seasons now since almost I want to say before Garpax I'm kidding but yeah yeah I I was really high on what the Bulls had done prior to the DeRozan part of it uh I I love you know I'm I'm a big fan of uh, of Alex Caruso I think he's a really really solid player especially on the defensive end but really good transition guy as well just a smart player uh, Lonzo Ball, you know, with his improvement as a three-point shooter, his passing and his, you know, defensive ability, I, I, I thought they had kind of come up with a decent formula where they say, okay, Zach Levine and, and Nikola Vucevic, those two guys are going to carry our offense and we're going to surround them with defensive guys, right? Sure. And, and prior to the DeRozan trade, you had the likes of Caruso, Ball, uh, Patrick Williams, and Thad Young to throw out uh, as uh, as sort of defensive compliments to your two offensive stars. But 
Then you trade Thad away, which, you know, he was arguably one of the, the top two or three players on the Bulls last year. So that's no small loss for them. Um, and in return, you get DeRozan, who obviously is a good player, but you also send a first round pick to then have the right to overpay him on this contract. And then DeRozan, yes, he gives you another offensive creator, um, but he hurts you in multiple ways because if you're playing Levine, Vucevic, and DeRozan in the starting lineup, now it doesn't really matter if you have two other good defensive players. You're just going to be bad defensively with the three of those guys on the floor. Uh, and, yeah. and, and then also DeRozan off the ball with Vucevic and Levine is, is not helpful because he doesn't space the floor. So I don't think he personally is, is a good fit for them. Although I, I completely understood the need for, for the bulls to get another offensive initiator outside of, of Zach Levine. But I also thought that's what they drafted Kobe white to be (laughs) true that type of player. So you know, bringing in DeRozan also, I feel like, stunts Kobe White's potential development in that area. I will put, I won't push back as much and make a counter argument for DeRozan and White. I think Kobe White, if anything, proved that he's more of an undersized shooting guard than like a set up the ball kind of offensive point guard. I think you can run offense through DeRozan as the point guard initiator and have. Um, Kobe White be that kind of off-ball shooter slash second-side initiator, um, which is the role I think he's more comfortable for and something that Grant is probably, or uh, uh, frankly, is probably a better fit for him long-term. Um, with that being said, I do agree with the spacing concerns. That is a concern. Um, defensively is also an issue as well. I think that Chicago is probably doing a, a version, and I don't want to knock this too much, because I think too many people try to knock big threes that have different styles. I'd rather have big threes that have different styles than big threes that have like more like everything works together. It's nice when they all work together, but Miami Heat proved perfectly that, you know, you have Dwayne Wade didn't change the way he played too much. You know, he still couldn't shoot threes and that's what LeBron needs to be optimal. But you had LeBron, you had Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, I'm not making a perfect scenario and trying to elude that those three are anywhere near uh, Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that sometimes, you know, they say styles make fights. I think that styles in these like three, three big three whatever constructs can be okay even if they're not a perfect match i'm really banking on that with the lakers so i do want to push on that a little bit more um but with that being said defensively you do have an issue it's not like DeRozan is going to pick up defense at 32 um i don't expect to be better at 35 so you have that as well and i don't know development it could be weird I, DeRozan had a weird effect with the spurs I feel from watching him over the last couple of years, because on the one hand, he did help them develop. Um, you know, he was able to be a playmaker that helped them to flourish and, and kind of grow their offensive games out. On the other hand, uh, when it came down to crunch time, everyone was looking at DeRozan and DeRozan with his skill set is good to get a bucket, but maybe not good to get the best bucket because he has to get to a certain spot to make his shots go. Um, and the Spurs were kind of just like, oh, yeah, it's you, man. You know, you've kind of got us here got us here now we give it to you and we saw that work until it didn't work and it didn't work in the memphis playing game so i don't know if that's going to be a thing for the bulls i don't think it might not even matter because the bulls have so many more established guys ahead that the young guys aren't gonna they're not gonna get those moments quite frankly i mean they've only been pushed further down the pecking order but they were already going to be second field to levine and to vooch and now you're looking behind the rosen so maybe it's not that big an issue but it is something i think is um curious yeah, I mean, in in a similar way to when I was mentioning with Westbrook, LeBron, and AD, I feel like the, the Lakers should 
should really stagger those three so that LeBron and AD are playing together and Westbrook gets minutes on his own. I think that should be the same with Chicago where Vucevic and Levine play their minutes together and then you give DeRozan some minutes on his own with the second unit. And, And you're right that, yeah, perhaps the DeRozan, Kobe White fit might be pretty good um, and, and Kobe White is is effective off the ball, but uh, you know you don't uh, you don't pay a guy uh, three years eighty five million plus give up a first round pick to essentially have him be your backup point guard. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I think you so, basically kind of drive that argument. Yeah, so um, let's uh, let's move on then to uh, another team in the Eastern Conference that has uh, has had a big free agency thus far, and that's the Miami Heat. The, uh, the Heat sign and trading for Kyle Lowry and uh, signing him up to, I don't know if you have the exact numbers, but something around three years. Three years, 90. 90 million, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, then also uh, re-signed Duncan Robinson to a five-year, $90 million deal. Extended Jimmy Butler for four years, $184 million. Uh, which uh, will be paying him around $51 million in his age 36 season. That's why I laughed, unfortunately. Jeez. Yeah. Then, uh, then they added P.J. Tucker on a two-year $15 million deal. And then most recently I heard uh, they uh, another departure from the Lakers, Markeith Morris signing a one-year deal with the Heat. So, uh, yeah, I can tell you're not happy about that. But uh, what what are your thoughts on what the Heat and Pat Riley have done here uh, in the last couple of days? Uh, on the one hand, you know, the Miami Heat are trying to go all in. Um, and I, I, I understand that, I guess, um, in terms of trying to maximize his window. You know, around Jimmy Butler, man, I'm going to buy. I do think that. I don't agree with it. I understand it. I think that when you look at this team, I think they've been better off building around Bam Adebayo. You know, keeping keeping Jimmy Weller because he is the star currently, but bringing in younger talent as well to supplement that as these guys start to, you know, d- diminish in terms of quality of play as they age. Instead, he buckled down on that and um, went even further by extending Jimmy Weller to just this crazy deal. Um, in my mind, I mean, it's not, I mean, geez, just a lot. And then not only that, but also bringing in a PJ Tucker for two years, which, you know, are probably both guaranteed. Um, I thought that was crazy. You had, um, uh, Duncan Robinson was a nice signing. I thought it was solid there. Uh, you went and brought Kyle Lowry. That's good. Uh, it's weird. I mean, the three years, 90 straight up for a 35 point guard. It's okay. I mean, we don't know how the last two years will work. And I know people like, well, don't bring up the last two. Well, no, that's part of the contract. Like you bring up the last two years of contract too. I think that Lowry's definitely deserved it. I think that people said the same thing about Lowry, you know, when he signed the last contract, but my pushback to that is that they shouldn't have said it for the last contract. You say it for this contract, you know, how's it going to look when he's 35? Eh, I mean, now we have enough sample size of players who look good at 35. That's not an issue. How he looks 38. We have a sample of that too. And it's usually not pretty for anyone. Um, so I just feel like the Heat have done this before where they've gone all in on just the vets. And I mean, their ceiling is like, yeah, they're right in the conversation, but if they don't get it, then it's just ugly. 
Um, and, and we and, my, and Pat Riley has done this before with Miami. We saw him do this in what 2016, uh, 2015, 2016 season, or yeah, 2015, 2016 season, where he went with you know Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch and Joe Johnson and Luel Day. You know, you went with that kind of older lineup and rolled them to the ground. You know, he did that uh, way back machine here. But if you look back to like 2000, 2003, when he had like Lafonso Ellis and Eddie Jones and Brian Grant and Travis Best, all these guys 30 and up, and he put them on with like these stupid contracts to like keep them around to stay competitive. And when they do good, they do good. And when they flame out, they flame out. And that's why you have like, you know, a year where he finished like 25 and 57. That was the year that he had that 2003 team or the year right after, you know, when Shaq got injured, where all these vets finished the bottom of the West, like the highs can be okay. And the lows can be really low. And I just don't know if I trust Pat Riley's decision-making with these aging guys to like lock them up long-term, not just for this year, not just even for next year, but moving forward. Yeah. I mean, to me, they, you know, the, the big issue with the heat last year was their offense. Their offense was not good. It was below average. It absolutely, uh, you know, cratered off when they faced the bucks in the postseason. they could not score. Mm -hmm. And what they've done this offseason has has given me zero confidence that they've improved in that area, like at all. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Lowry is a better basketball player than Goran Dragic. I don't think it's particularly close, but a big chunk of that is that Lowry is a significantly better defensive player than Dragic. Offensively, it's kind of close. You know, Dragic is a very skilled offensive player, and you also got to factor in that Dragic had developed really good chemistry with the likes of Bam Adebayo and the rest of this roster, mm-hmm. Lowry is not going to have right away. So the offensive difference between Lowry and Dragic is minimal. So then you you talk about, okay, now we've replaced Trevor Ariza with P.J. Tucker on the offensive end. Uh, yeah. That's a downgrade. That's clearly an uh, offensive downgrade, yep. So, yes, like – you're putting out a lineup with Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, PJ Tucker, Kyle Lowry, and Robinson. Like that's going to be unbelievable on the defensive end. But you know, I uh, I said this on Twitter. I could probably if that's their starting lineup and that lineup is going to play a lot of minutes together during the regular season. I I'm I'm going to go on the record and guarantee they'll be a bottom ten offense in the NBA next year. Whoa, whoa. Okay, Gary with the hot take. It only took an hour 40, but we got in there, bro. I'm with it. I'm with it. That Which um, um, is even hotter because you said, and we all knew, that a clear determining focus for the Heat should have been to improve the offense. That was just piss poor last year. And now you're saying that, nope, it's going to be that way this year too. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like P.J. Tucker. I think the, the loss of Tucker is just more significant for Milwaukee than it is like some great gain for the Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, he, he might be a solid backup to Butler or whatever, but yeah, I just, I can't envision a world where Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler and Tucker all playing together is going to work offensively. You know, the Bucks, they had their struggles in the half court in the postseason with Brooke Lopez, who can actually shoot threes. Bam does not take threes, but Giannis, who, is the greatest attacker of the rim with a clogged paint we've ever seen in the NBA, much better than Butler, even though that is one of Butler's strengths as well. And then, yeah, both teams obviously having P.J. Tucker. That front line for the Bucks had more spacing than this this uh, this Heat front line would have. 
So, yeah, I, I just do not see how this is a good enough team on the offensive end to really – I do not think of them as, like, in the upper echelon of the NBA after this, uh, this free agency. I would still say they're probably in more the fifth to tenth best team in the NBA with these moves. Yeah, which is a shame because you put a lot of money and investment in terms of years and dollars into making this team better than just that. And I I agree with you 100%. I, I think that there's a clear ceiling where they are. Um, I worry that they stunt some of uh, the development of Bam Adebayo. Um, and I just don't see moving forward how you're relying on a lot of old guys. I mean, forget the fact you got – okay, let me let me scale that back. I'm a Lakers fan. You're, you're, you have a lot of guys that you have a lot of guys that, I mean, you, you just, I don't know, like a lot of guys who are older, but like also uh, it's, it's this weird mix. I just don't see how it looks right now. I just don't know how I like it right now. I, I, I think that it leads them to like, exactly. They don't have a LeBron James. There you go. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So, they get some heck of chances for a team that doesn't have like that top, top, top tier guy. Right. Let's, uh, Let's talk about a couple of teams that I'm a little bit uh, that I'm a little bit down on, and I just don't know what they're doing. And that is the New Orleans Pelicans. They uh, they they signed and traded the, the Lonzo Ball. We we talked about that in the Bulls section and got back Thomas Sadoransky and Garrett Temple and a second round pick. Like those two guys are are capable rotation guys. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say either of those guys are starting caliber players. Um, and then. You know, they they send out a first round pick, a lottery protected, their own lottery protected first round pick to bring back Devontae Graham to pay him four years, 47 million. So essentially what they did is they traded their own first round pick, Lonzo Ball, for Devontae Graham on a four year, 47 million dollar deal. Eric Temple and Thomas Sadoransky. And of course, Lonzo Ball signed that four-year $85 million contract. I mean, I'd rather have Lonzo Ball on that contract and a first-round pick than what they got in return. What say you? I, I have to agree with you completely. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It felt like you went backwards for what exactly? I'm not sure. It's it's a it's a it's a I don't even want to say it's a step forward. It's just I love Devontae Graham, but I just it's a step back, and it's a weird way also to give up assets to do so. David Griffin, just in, since he's been with the Pelicans, has not been a fan favorite of mine. I would imagine, or many Pelicans fans, because you don't—they don't make sense in real time. Like it's not like decisions have to kind of take time to bear fruit, and you go, "Wow, that wasn't a great idea." No, they don't make sense to begin with. Um, he'll probably be undoing this year, this this offseason moves this season. I'll probably unbe- do, probably be trying to undo it next year if he's still there. I just don't think, no, I'm, I've not been a fan of his moves um, around Zion. Yeah, I mean, the he, he was just knocking it out of the park initially with the Davis trade and the Drew Holiday trade to just set this team up to have such a bright future. You, you had Zion, you had so many draft picks, and a couple years <laughs> you know, or a year or two after that. And uh, they have, they really haven't progressed at all since then. Uh, and, and yeah, this is a huge bet on that. The, the one skill that Devonte Graham has that, that Lonzo doesn't is that off the dribble three point shooting. This is a mm-hmm. huge bet that that skill unlocks things for this offense that, you know, they haven't seen before. 
But, you know, we also saw that, like, Zion as your ball handler initiator is pretty darn good. So, um, you know, do you want to sacrifice having it in his hands to put it in Devontae Graham's hands who can really, you know, only do two things. He could shoot the ball off the dribble or he can make the pet into the next pass. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you're giving to, like, a passing savant or a superior, um, you know, point guard in Devontae Graham. In fact, I'd probably put... Zion's playmaking creation abilities above Graham, you know, and I don't think as bold to say that um, the three point shooting is great. And it's nice that you finally brought a guy who can do that on volume. But at the same time, the, the, the fit is, is weird considering the other moves that you've made and the fact you're to give up to get him. Devonte Graham's not the person to do that. I'd rather have done that to keep Lonzo than do that to take in Graham. Yeah. So another team that I that I thought has had a sort of perplexing offseason and you brought them up earlier is or, or I guess you, you brought them up before we started recording. And that <laughs> is the, uh, the San Antonio Spurs. They uh, they, of course, signed Doug McDermott to a three year, forty two million dollar contract. You know, I could see that contract being OK if what McDermott did last year is real. I always am a little bit worried about a guy performing and having a career year on a contract year. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, paying up for that, for that and expecting him to produce at that level, you know, McDermott was not a a very good NBA player prior to this last season. Uh, So that could go either way for me. Uh, And then the one that's really confusing is the Zach Collins signing. I mean, I understand, And it from a fit standpoint, the Spurs and Greg Popovich have always preferred to play big and play with two big guys on the floor. And he theoretically gives you the ability to have two rim protectors while still not sacrificing spacing. But given his injury history and his lack of production, even when he's been healthy, giving him three years and 22 million seems to be a lot. And I'm not sure who else was offering him anything close to that. I don't think anyone was. It was very confusing to me. I, in fact, I'm going to throw you back a quick question. Would you, if you were the Spurs, rather have Zach Collins or, or, or Larry Markkinen? That, that's probably a question I'll answer first. I got to say it would be Larry, um, even though he's been disappointing over Collins, who I don't know because he's been injured for the better part of three seasons now. Yeah, I mean, Lowry has produced more for sure, and he's the much better, more versatile offensive player. but. Um, you know, I think part of what has intrigued the Spurs and, and I've always like, you know, kept like a small amount of hope that Collins turns into something because I, I do still value that guy that that big that can be a floor spacer on offense while still being a plus as a defensive player. And I think mm-hmm. Collins still has that potential, whereas Markin and I just think will always be a below average defensive player. Um, so like, yeah. I, I understand the appeal, but yeah, I just, uh, you know, again, as, as we'll get with, uh, as we'll get to with the Jared Allen signing, who are you competing with and, and why are you just offering this with, uh, you know, why is this your, essentially your initial offer on day one of free agency? Yeah. It's like the, the massive overpay, like, Oh, I'll give you 45 mil. Who's going to turn that down. But why'd you do that when he's a $5 million player? You know, like, you know, is that sort of 
kind of logic. Um, the whole, in that, uh, the whole um, Evan Evan Turner getting that uh, that contract from Portland and him texting Andre Iguodala and Iggy responding to him saying, "You better sign that as soon as possible." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it, you said it. Like it's funny and it's true. Like it's that type of 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 short sighted move that encourages me to believe that I can be in the NBA front office one day. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. The, um, so let's get to, let's get to the Jared Allen thing. And I also want to sort of compare this to how Atlanta is dealing with the John Collins uh, restricted free agency, but uh, you know, Atlanta seemingly is doing this right. They are uh, the, the rumors are that they are nowhere near an agreement yet. And there's a, there's a decent chance that, uh, that uh, news has come out. Uh, in between us recording this and, and you hearing it at home. But, uh, you know, the, the the Hawks and Collins apparently are nowhere near a deal. So the Hawks have just held firm and said, okay, well, you know, we're not going to just give you the money that you desire. We're going to either make you sign a deal or, you know, agree to our terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cavs went with the complete opposite approach with Jared Allen, where – they basically said, you know what, uh, we're just going to give you exactly what you want. There's no incentive for the Cavs with that deal. Allen, again, signing five years for $100 million. Straight up. That's like there, there's no upside for the Cavs with that with that contract. You're paying $20 million a year for the full five seasons. It just doesn't make sense, especially with him being a restricted free agent. If I'm Cleveland, I would much rather, instead of just – giving him exactly the contract he wants, like make him sign a deal. The, the concern most of the time with that is, okay, well, the guy might sign some deal where it's a three plus one, where he gets a player option. It's only three guaranteed seasons, but what's the problem with that? If you're Cleveland, especially since you just drafted Evan Mobley, you know, if if you only have Allen for the next three years, you're you're hoping that Mobley is your center of the future by that point. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so the commitment was odd financially. Yeah. And, and again, what is the point of having restricted rights? If you don't gain any advantage as the team, <laughs> like there's, <laughs> there's a reason that restricted free agents have often taken less than unrestricted because of the matching power. So the, yeah, what the Cavs did is just totally confusing to me. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, Oh, it's, it's great. Jared Allen's good. Like, Yeah. He's a good player. You overpaid him and you probably didn't need to. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly the biggest issue with that is that, you know, you could say you, you made the you made the deal, justify the trade you had for him. The fact that Brooklyn let him go is still kind of surprising to me, but fine, you know, has potential young guy, get all of that. But that contract is insane. And yeah, I mean, without even trying to negotiate, I get it. Maybe trying to show faith in him and everything. And if he were your only big, then I'd probably be more apt to agree with that. But he wasn't. <laughs> he just drafted one. Um, unless you see them as a Twin Towers formation moving forward. I actually can kind of see that. Uh, Jared Allen's kind of been stretching the three a little bit. Um, you know, Evan Mobley's coming in. And I think just starting out, just because he's so thin, he'll probably be shooting the J more often than not. But even so, that is a lot of money to give to a guy who even as – what is the projection of a tops off? I, I don't think it'll be worth that. 20 mil? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I love the trade at the time for Cleveland, getting a starting caliber center for, you know, a, a crappy first-round pick uh, is is good value. And I, I like the process, too, of saying, like, yeah, let's re-sign him. Let's bring him back. That all makes sense. I just, you know, again, 
the, the process of the restricted free agency, they just completely failed at that. 100%. And, uh, yeah, overpaid him. So it's unfortunate. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, too, though, that I think him and, and Mobley can play together initially. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, he, he got overpaid by, I would say, at least $5 million per season. And probably, given his uh, production in his career, didn't deserve five guaranteed years either. No, no, a significant margin, to be sure. So I've got one more uh, team to talk about, and then uh, I'll, uh, I'll toss it to you to mention either a, a player or a team that you thought was interesting. But uh, the last team I wanted to bring up was the Utah Jazz. I thought they had an interesting first day and a half of free agency. They re-signed Mike Conley on a three-year, $72.5 million deal. They ended up offloading Derek Favors and his contract. Well, yeah. And uh, I think having to trade a second round pick, I believe, to do so. And uh, then we're able to sign Rudy Gay to the taxpayer mid-level on a two-year, $12.1 million deal. Player option on the second year for Gay. And then they were able to uh, get a uh, replacement for Favors, who they uh, they traded in, in Hassan Whiteside, signing, a, I believe, a one-year contract there. So this, to me, was what I find interesting about this. This was a bet by Utah to basically say, okay, um, you know, Favors, a quality backup center, but we would rather spend our extra money in the tax on upgrading what was the George Niang position and, and improve to a guy like Rudy Gay. We think that helps our team more than, say, you know, a slight downgrade at the backup center position. And that's, and that's bold. I like it in terms of how, I, I think Rudy Gay is a great addition. Um, offensive, I think defense are not too bad at the fourth spot. I didn't like getting rid of favors. But more, I gotta say, it was more from like a person personal standpoint. Their favorites. I mean, he's one of those guys who's been around forever, despite just turning thirty. But he's been like part of the Utah Jazz. I'm sure he came back and you know thought he was gonna be there long term, and just to be kind of unceremoniously dumped, kind of sucked. Especially when you know Hassan Whiteside does bring. I don't want to say a gold bear light, but you have someone who's gonna be kind of around the rim. You know, a deterrent there. Someone's going to finish lobs and, and around the basket. Someone who, you know, didn't have a great year last year, but the year before had a solid double-double with Portland. Um, I think you're right. Like, their philosophy is an interesting one. Uh, I don't know if it's the best one, but I, I don't know. I'm not as high on Utah Jazz. I wasn't as high on the Utah Jazz up moving forward as I don't think anyone else was. I feel like they kind of have a ceiling right now with players who are kind of decent but not great aging out and a guy in Donovan Mitchell who is good, but I don't think you, I don't think he's the clear like best guy um, moving forward that you're like, okay, who do you build around that? Like, I don't think they're optimized to take advantage of Donovan Mitchell's strengths. And I think their supporting cast while solid has a very clear ceiling. See, I mean, uh, we, I think this is, this is always going to be the case. I'm, I'm higher on Utah. I was higher on them last year and, and they had the, the best regular season. Uh, in in franchise history and they're uh, I think they're going to be terrific once again and and I just hope that we get a postseason where they're fully healthy you know two years ago in the bubble it was I I shouldn't even say two years ago one year ago in the bubble it was uh, you know Bogdanovich not being healthy then uh, then this past season it was in the in the Western Conference semifinals Mike Conley was not healthy so um, I think has every right to believe given their regular season success that if we bring back our core you know six or seven or eight guys 
minus favors that, uh, you know, if this team is healthy, we are just about as good as everybody in the NBA. Uh, so, so I like what they've done this postseason. Uh, yeah, I, I would like it a little bit more if, and, and, and they could have done this where they kept favors and got gay. It, it would have been even for, uh, bigger tax penalties, which I think the ownership was not interested in doing, but um, yep. If it was one or the other, gay or favors, I think it is an interesting bet to go with gay and kind of just say, well, when Rudy Gobert is off the floor, we're just going to try to outscore teams. I'm with you on that. I agree on philosophy. I don't agree in terms of the Utah Jazz moving forward. I mean, I wasn't a town them in the postseason, even with the injury to Mike Conley, kind of proved my point. I think that if you watch the regular season for Utah and then turn off the team for the postseason, you feel pretty good about yourself too. So, you know, I'm okay with that as well. Um, I just don't, I mean, you're, you're, you're banking, not having injuries on guys who historically have had injuries. Um, I just don't see that being an issue. You lost the game completely uh, to um, Terrence Mann. I just, I, and last year was something else. Like at the Utah Jazz to me are a team that, yeah, like, Regular season games, somebody's got to win them. Why can't it be Utah? And the postseason, you know, the team that's really supposed to be there will be there, and that's not Utah. Um, and that's just, I mean, like I said, I've been each year that something goes down, someone else blames injury, someone else blames this. But being I'm not, I wasn't hound to begin with, and they don't. If anything, they validate my low opinion already. I go in the next year even lower. So this year, like, yeah, I expect them to be in the top because they're a great regular season team, and that's where I stop. Yeah, and I mean, if I if I remember correctly, I don't think you were that high on their regular season even heading into this this past year. You're right. I wasn't actually. I think I had them like fifth, fourth or fifth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, you call you got me right because I think I had them fourth or fifth along with Phoenix. But I, again, I will give credit to the fact that the real teams that I give injury excuses to noted the Lakers and Clippers. You know, teams that would have been there regardless had injuries and slipped further than I expected. Um, and so therefore, the Jazz had a run. But I think had the Lakers and Clippers been healthy the Jazz have been more properly rated. Then some guy would have still bet on them to make it to the Western Conference Finals or whatever. But that's just my thoughts on that. I mean, we're, we're both consistent, Corbin. I'm going to consistently hate on Russell Westbrook. You're going to consistently hate on the Utah Jazz. That's just how <laughs> things work. just the way it has to be, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, let's uh, we'll wrap it up here in just a second. I'll, I'll leave it up to you, Corbin, to pick, you know, an individual contract that was signed or an individual team and what they did. What was, uh, what was another move here in this first uh, day and a half of free agency that caught your eye? So I only really have one that I wonder, and it's really about the Suns. How do we look at the Suns offseason? You know, they retained uh, Chris Paul on a tremendous amount of money. Uh, you knew he was going to get that though when he opted out of 44 mil. Then they went and brought in JaVale McGee. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't, they made the trade for Landry Shamit and somehow I don't feel like they've done enough. Well, and they, uh, they, they also re-signed campaign on a $3 oh, my fault. million dollar deal. That's the, that, that I totally forgot. That's a very good team friendly deal. Taking him through his prime. He's 26 now through age 29. That's a really good deal. I totally meant to mention that. Jeez. But aside from that, I, I, I think they're okay. Like, it's weird. I'm not blown away by, like, what I thought that they could have done and what they ended up doing. And maybe I'm low on the Suns now, unlike the Jazz, the, the Suns uh, actually proved something. But also, like, I think that they had a chance to possibly do more. Yeah, they they also, uh, Torrey Craig ended up leaving and, and yep. signing a deal with Indiana. So they lose a little bit of wing depth. They did re-sign. Abdul Nader on a two-year, four-point-two million-dollar deal. 
but uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously retaining and bringing back Chris Paul is huge. Getting that, uh, I think that campaign contract is one of the steals of the offseason. Um, and they needed a backup center at with uh, with Sarich out for the year and, and Frank Kaminsky, frankly, not uh, um, no pun intended, Frank, frankly, not being good enough. Uh, the you know, so McGee, I think, was uh, you know, a, a decent option. I would actually still be interested in maybe seeing them get somebody like a Paul Millsap who's still out there. I think he would be an, an interesting fit. You know, I, I think McGee is a is a player that in certain matchups is really good, but doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't uh, fit against everybody. So Millsap would give you a little bit more versatility at that backup five spot. I don't know if he would be willing to come for the minimum, but uh, he'd be somebody I would still look at that maybe Phoenix could could add to their their roster. And he's also somebody I think could play a little bit of four too if you wanted to play a little bit bigger. Okay, versatility that way. I guess I agree with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think their offseason is is pretty decent. Again, just by retaining Paul and Payne, and then also filling that backup center void, uh, I would give their offseason at least a B just for that. But yeah, you're you're right in suggesting that uh, you know that uh, you would hope that they would have brought in a guy that they, they did they straight up didn't have on this roster that would really make a difference i think a lot of people were suggesting uh, as uh, as i think a lot of teams were hoping to to bring in a guy like nick batum he would have been really great as a signing for the suns but uh i exactly i would have i would have enjoyed that like i feel like there was other exactly like you could have went and said oh clear like they have a b but they could have been it could have been an a right but uh, yeah, they're they're going to be an interesting case, and and you're they're also a team that you would hope that even if Chris Paul declines a little bit as he ages, you would hope that given their young talent in in Bridges and Cam Johnson and DeAndre Ayton and, and Devin Booker still just twenty four, you're hoping still that this team has some has some internal development up their sleeve as well that can that can keep them in that uh, upper echelon of the uh, NBA championship contenders. Yeah, I, and I don't know. I mean, I think they're going to be up there, uh, right up there with Utah. <laughs> but um, I just don't – I mean, we'll see. A lot of it is on the health of Chris Paul, I think. A lot of it on development of like the Aiton and, and the Bridges and, and a continued improvement from uh, Devin Booker to make sure that what we've seen so far isn't – I don't want to say a fluke, but isn't the the result of just a fluky year. Okay, I'm going to mention a couple more, and then we'll wrap up here, Corbin. All uh, right. So, you know – I'm curious just from a couple of teams that, that are, that are considered contenders this year. Uh, what, uh, which of these signings impressed you more? So for golden state getting Otto Porter jr. And Nemanja Bialica or Brooklyn snagging Patty Mills. I like Brooklyn getting Patty. I, I like Brooklyn getting Patty. I think that he is someone that, you know, is, is solid. Um, comes from a strong culture, shoots a three ball very well. Someone who's going to be able to be the perfect off ball kind of guy to play off these guys. Cause he's not a guy who, you know, initiates offense uh, routinely or anything like that, but he's someone who knows how to kind of get a team into their sets, you know, park in the corner or park on the wing and knock down a three at a high clip, 38% three point shooter. Uh, I think that he's going to make a great impact on a team that, I mean, they needed a kind of steady backup kind of guard and they're going to get that. He's going to be all over the place and give maximum effort. And he fits in the black, just like he did with San Antonio. Well, yeah, I think he's the perfect guy that if there's another worst case scenario where two of their big three get hurt, uh, that was, I think, what was missing from 
from the roster. And it's it's fair for them to have built the roster, you know, assuming that at least two of their big three would be healthy. Um, but, you know, given that it was literally just Durant, really, that was healthy and able to create offense, they, they didn't have enough offensive punch. So Patty Mills gives them a little bit more of that. So uh, it also gives them the freedom to maybe rest the, one of their big three on different nights and still have Patty Mills as a guy that can can help with creation on the second unit. So I'm, I'm in agreement there. I also, I do really like what the Warriors did there. I think, uh, you know, Otto Porter Jr., if he can stay healthy, maybe can give you a reasonable facsimile of what Harrison Barnes gave those, uh, those teams in. That's a comparable comp. I like that. That's a solid one. You're right. He possibly could. Yeah. So uh, if healthy, that's a big if. Exactly. Well, Corbin, this was uh, this was a heck of a lot of fun. We've been going for about two hours now. Thanks so much oh, wow. for coming on, <laughs> taking the time, and uh, I am I'm very excited to to get to see you next week. Oh, bro, I cannot wait. It'll be a lot of fun, man. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review preferably five stars, and uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be... uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine including soccer and film and television so uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week you can find me there you can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at Corbin NBA that's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A so uh, he uh, he does a does a good job on Twitter as well he's very active I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.